This is it. It's time for the Where Is It Now Geocaching Podcast, where you can escape the muggles in your life for almost, but not quite, 30 minutes. This podcast is sponsored by the Four State Geocaching Society and was recorded at Digital Planet Studios near Joplin, Missouri. Now let's welcome our host, Where Is It Now? Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode two of the Where Is It Now Geocaching podcast. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up today. Uh, first off, we have an interview with one of Missouri's geocaching reviewers. I can't wait to get started. Let's jump on Zoom and get John on the line. Hey, good morning, John. How are you? Doing great. John is our first guest today. He is one of the reviewers for Missouri. How many reviewers are there in our state? In our state, there's three. There's uh, Mongo, there's Glenn, and then there's Mr. Harmonica, who is, who is me. How did that name come about? Harmonica is the name of a character on a uh, movie called uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. So I, uh, I like that character. And, and if you re- watch the movie, you'll see uh, uh, how his character is. And he ends up being a good guy. And, and, uh, but, uh, but that's, what I, that's how I picked it. Oh, sure. I remember that movie. That's been a while back, but I do remember it. I have a two-part question for you. First of all, how did you become a re- reviewer? And then next, why? Well, the, uh, a- another reviewer had apparently asked a lot of people uh, if they would be interested because he wanted to retire, and that was Banjo Boy. Okay. And so um, he contacted me. I said I thought it would be fun. And um, uh, they sent in a whole list to HQ on uh, who um, who was uh, who accepted his invitation, and I just happened to be the one that um, that had the most experience. I've been geocaching since 2007, and so um, since I had the most experience, they picked me. Are you sure it wasn't because of your name? I mean, Banjo Boy, Mr. Harmonica. Is there a trend there? No, they had no idea what my uh, geocaching name for a reviewer was going to be until after they asked. Ah, well, too bad, because I was thinking that if I ever wanted to be a reviewer, I would name myself something musical. L. Frank is my uh, regular uh, uh, geocaching name that I use. I don't know if this is true or not, but it always seemed to me that reviewers were fairly anonymous. And I can think of reasons why that would be a good idea, but you haven't seemed that way. In fact, since you came on board, you've been very vocal in our uh, geocaching Facebook groups and things like that. Why? Well, uh, as far as anonymous goes, whenever Glenn first started, he was, um, there was no such thing as being anonymous. He was, everybody knew who he was and, and uh, uh, it worked out really well for him. When Mongo started, Mongo wanted to stay um, secret, and Mongo is still secret, okay? And uh, so we have a joke that we use for him. But anyway, uh, as far as me, um, it was an agreement that I had with HQ that within the first year, I would come out and uh, be... um, and be uh, uh, not secret, you know, just so everybody would know who I am. 
And the reason for that is HQ wants us to mingle with the uh, other geocachers and have meetings like this with podcasters so that we can uh, get the word out and, uh, and answer questions that they may have. That sounds like a mixed bag of good and bad. I have thought about it. I mean, I think when I first got started, I thought, hey, it'd be fun to be a reviewer. But the more I see around me, the more I think maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know. I don't know yet. I've always been curious how many caches are up for review. Why don't you pick a time, whether it's a, you know, a day, a week or a month? Well, right now with the virus, you know, the, the, uh, we got all the events shut down mm-hmm. unless they publish and they need an event after the uh, CDC dates, which are, which can be changed at any time. But, um, as far as no, a normal week, we, we may have somewhere between, um, uh, five a day to, um, sometimes, you know, maybe 30 a week, you know, it just depends on, um, how people feel like, uh, you know, hiding and stuff like that, you know, cause I just cover, I just cover, um, half of the state, which is like, um, longitude 93 and above. So I'm just outside of Lebanon and that area and then West. Okay. And so, um, and then uh, Mongo and Glenn, they cover the east side of the state, and um, uh, that's how that works out. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize that you guys had sort of territories. Do you think the cities get more or the rural areas get more cash is placed? Well, it's, it's, it's probably the cities mainly because um, there's more people that's playing the game. Early on, when I was out trying to figure out where to place my first geocache, I found the perfect place. Now, I'm well known for guardrails, and you'll get to if, if we get to know each other, you'll know what I mean. And the only reason I love guardrails is because I'm very allergic to bugs. And so I hide I like to find things where I don't have to bushwhack in the summer at least. So the first place I found was a guardrail, and it was perfect, but I was turned down because it was within, I don't know how many feet of some train tracks. So talk about that, the safety part of your job. Well, as far as the train tracks go, what we have to go by is, is that the railroad companies own 75 feet on each side of the track from the center. Okay. So you got, you pick the center of the track, 75 feet on one side, they own 75 feet on the other side, they own. Okay. Now that's in the rural areas. When you get a train that goes through a town, then it's a little bit different. And so we have to figure out um, where the boundary is because you cannot, uh, the train companies don't want you putting caches on their property. So we have to figure out just from our computer whether or not your cache is on their property or not. Okay. So it's more, it's more about property rights than safety then. Well, safety has a lot to do with it, too. Obviously, you don't want kids running out into the railroad tracks and that sort of thing. So um, what we do is um, if there's a um, if there is a fence or something like that, and you can prove to me that there's a fence between your cache and the uh, and the train and the train property, then we will probably publish it because the fence won't be, well, fence will be the border, okay, of the, either the farmer's field or however you want to see it, uh, the other property and the railroad property, okay? Okay. And so 
In your case, if you had a guardrail and it was like it near a road that crossed the tracks, I could see where that could get turned down, but I don't know your situation. So it sounds like you spend a lot of time looking at safety issues. Well, yeah, we look at safety a lot, okay? It really, uh, you know, and just for something silly like a, a fake coordinate, okay, like a puzzle cache, we don't like people putting fake coordinates in the middle of an intersection for the simple fact that if someone doesn't realize that this is a fake coordinate and they want to go to that, and we have some uh, autistic people that uh, that geocache for their, and, and it really helps them. But sometimes they're a little bit gullible and they, they get a first to find and they go to the first coordinate and they don't realize that it's, it's a fake coordinate. And, uh, and it's, we've had that happen here in St. Louis where um, we had a kid go out to the middle of an intersection. It was a busy intersection during Christmas and he had a police officer take him across trying to get the ground zero. That's how adamant he was. And then he realized that it was a fake coordinate, but still uh, we decided right then and there that uh, this isn't gonna happen again, at least not on my watch. We make sure that they put them in a parking lot or you know, in, a, in a river or something like that where you know somebody's not gonna go there. And, uh, um, but so yeah, we know we look at, we look at uh, safety all the time. Another one would be uh, in your case, the guardrail. If there's no place for your car to pull off of the road, then, um, then we may not publish it. It just depends on how busy the road is. Okay. okay. And so what I look at is if the road has lines on it, it better have a good place to get your car off the road to where you can open that door and the door won't be in the street. If the door's in the street, I probably won't publish it. So what's the number one reason then that you deny a location, you think? It's usually permission. Let's go back in time when, with the Walmart situation. People would put caches in Walmart and uh, we said, oh, well, that's kind of a neat idea with the lampposts and all that kind of thing. Well, the only problem was they weren't getting permission from the manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we just figured, well, it's a public type of business and all that. They won't care. And, you know, this is from the reviewers before me. And then Walmart uh, had a complaint with HQ and they said, hey, look, uh, we uh, would rather, um, you know, everybody get permission on that. So, yeah, we had to start cracking down. And now you got to get permission to put a lamppost cash in a parking lot from that business. Otherwise it won't get published. And, and a lot of people, uh, you know, it, it used to be easy, but now it's a little bit harder. And, and, uh, it, what's kind of nice is if you do get permission and the manager knows about it. And so if he sees somebody out there, he knows what they're doing, you know, so right. it, it's kind of a good thing all around. Do you still like it? Do you enjoy caching? I, I retired in, two, in 2015. Uh, my wife still works. We're a team, so we usually don't go recaching by ourselves. I have a hip issue, and uh, which is really irritating to me because I really like going to those long hikes into the woods just to go get one. And um, those are becoming more and more difficult mm -hmm. because of the hip. We've been changing our... Um, geocaching focus and maybe we we mainly do cemeteries a lot now oh well that's great to hear I, I was a little bit worried that maybe it'd be like 
owning a restaurant and getting tired of, of the food. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Not a problem. I, I enjoyed it. Very, very nice meeting you. That was John L. Frank, one of Missouri's three geocache reviewers, better known as Mr. Harmonica. We're going to do our next interview in studio here at Digital Planet. It's early in the morning, so we do have some birds chirping outside that you may hear uh, off and on during the interview. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Joe from Neosho, Missouri. Now, Joe has some interesting things about his name, but we'll just get started. And first, let me start with you, Joe. Tell us where your name, Brandy Jack, came from. It originally started as a hobby with geocaching that my son and my wife were going to go do when I was working weekends because they had nothing else to do and they saw it on TV. So she created an account for her and Jack. Her name's Brandy, his name is Jack. And that's where the name came from. And then I tagged along and never left. Gotcha. So it's always funny when I first saw all the logs of Brandy Jack around, I envisioned things like you often do, you know, and when I met you, I I didn't understand. It's like, okay, you're not Brandy, you're not Jack, and neither Brandy or Jack were with you when I met you. So it was a little bit confusing at first. Yeah, uh, I get that a lot from a lot of people. So the other thing is you're known by a couple of different names. So you're known as Brandy Jack. And of course, so is Brandy and Jack are known as Brandy Jack. But you're also known as Evil Joe. Correct. So why Evil Joe? Well, I had a one of the locals around here, the plumber, just started referring to me as Evil Joe because I was hiding a lot of stuff in plain sight that was very hard to find. It was built into the scenery or built into the fence with traditional items that belong there. So it made it very difficult to find. Yeah, I've, uh, you're, when you name a cache, Evil Joe number whatever, I always kind of cringe because I know it's gonna be really hard to find. Yeah, when I hide those, it's typically, I don't expect them to be found quickly or very often. A lot of them have not hung around because when they do get muggled, they get destroyed or stolen because some kid will see the amount of effort that went into it and thinks he needs to own it too. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's those, those gadget caches. I was thinking, and I still haven't gotten this one yet. In Carthage, Missouri, there's one that's in the middle of a lake. And it's a small lake. I mean, it's not a huge lake. No, it's uh, right out in the middle on a little bitty island surrounded by geese. Uh, It's not meant to be very hard. It's not meant to be very difficult. It is just a pain in the butt to get to. You're going to have to either swim and get wet or bring a little boat and canoe out the 35 meters to the little island. It's just enough to be a pain in the butt. It really is. We've looked at that for a couple of years, and uh, I have this huge problem with bugs. I just get eaten alive. And so I always say, well, I'm not going to go in the summer to get that because I know once I get to the island, I'm going to get you know, mobbed. And so we think, well, we'll go in the winter. And then in the winter, the water is freezing. Well, the main problem with that little island is it is surrounded by geese all the time. And the geese won't bother you, but your footwear choice will definitely need to be washed off when you leave the island in warm weather. You say the geese won't bother you. I have a pretty good history with geese, and I've never met a goose that didn't want to kill me. The catch that we're talking about is Evil Joe Pound 2, and the GC code 
is GC, 7, H is in Harry, M, E is in Eric, K is in Kilo. Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, and I, and I really want to expand on this in future episodes, is gadget caches. You are one of the, in the area, I think you're the person that creates the most gadget caches. Yeah, they're not to the level I would prefer them to be, but I do like to build unique containers and unique caches that have a twist on them. The ones I've typically tried to build are more mechanical and not electrical. Uh, I have a lot of friends that do build electrical and Arduino type caches. Mine are more mechanical puzzles and pieces you have to manipulate to break inside of the box. Among other things that you do in geocaching, you are the host of Pirates Plunder. Talk a little bit about that. Pirates Plunder is a local event that we started about four years ago that has different activities set up for the family and for the local cachers that want to show up and get FTFs. And what city is it held in? It's in Neosho, Missouri, and the actual event is the first Saturday of August, but we usually have a Friday um, Friday night game night and a Sunday CEDO. Yeah, I've tried to make that every year. I'm, I'm going to try to be there again this year. It's a fun event. It is. It seems to have quite the appeal. And the more people that show up to the Friday night game night seem to think that that is more fun than the Saturday events. The Saturday events we typically set up to be kind of like the MOGAs were, where we have a cash dash to go run around and find caches that I set up in the park. Uh, ammo can toss and whatever else we can come up with to have fun in the park. I remember last year there were quite a few new caches hidden. Did you hide all those or did other people help? I hid all but one. Um, when people show up, some of these people are driving from seven or eight states or three or four states away. Some of these people are my locals that have already found all my caches. So I try to put out 15 or 20 new caches of varying degrees and types so that there's a draw to bring them back in as well. Well, I enjoy that. I mean, I I love it that uh, we come down for the event. There's food, there's drink, there's game. It's an indoor event, by the way, and an outdoor. So you have a space to be inside uh, so that you have air conditioning. But then we all jump in cars and we go out and find all these 15 or 20 new caches, which is is fun, and they're really close to the uh, inside. Yeah, I try to have a kind of a base of operations for everybody. If they want to get out of the hot sun, the building's nice, cool, and air-conditioned. It's right by the creek. I try to have a couple caches hidden in the water to see if they'll even last. But it usually is a lot of fun for everybody of all ages. If you're listening to this podcast and you live outside the area, why don't you consider joining the Facebook group Four State Geocaching society and that's the number four you'll see the post about uh, pirates plunder as well as other events we do in the area you're trying to get up over that magic 100 number right yeah it's i think it's 100 will attends is where we're hitting but we usually end up having about 200 people there by the time you count kids and spouses and muggles that are brought along to be introduced to geocaching I I remember last year you had several new gadgets that you introduced. Uh, you want to talk about some of your gadget caches? Yeah, I have uh, several mechanical caches that I've built. I'm probably more excited about them than most of the other people <laughs> that went to find them. Uh, they're usually 
like one uses centrifugal force to open up, another one uses the sound of bearings dropping around to weight something so it'll open up, and then I have several others in the area. You know how when you go to an event and there's a new cache that's posted and sometimes everybody goes together, like 20 or 30 people, and everybody gets the first to find? I don't mind that with a traditional cache, but when it's a gadget cache, I really want a chance to try to figure out the answer. And uh, that was kind of one of the tough parts at the event was saying, don't tell me how this ends. Yeah, I get a lot of people talking about that. It seems that, and it doesn't bother me when people do do that, because if they don't have the skills to get into it or the time, I still want them to be able to get into it and enjoy the cash for what it is. I don't like, I don't make my caches impossible. I don't enjoy those because I like to see logs and I like to see people finding it and then having a good time. Yeah, well, you didn't get the name Evil Joe from making everything easy, though. Your stuff's kind of hard. Oh, yeah, it will. It does take some thought and a few minutes or a few minutes of your time. But I don't want someone to spend an hour trying to break into something. Yeah, I, the truth is I'm not very good at, at gadget caches and yours were really challenging to me. I don't mind somebody helping me. I just want a chance to to try everything I could think of first. Uh, what's your favorite gadget cache that you've created? Uh, it's in, in a pub in downtown Neosho called Indian Springs. It's called Don't Rock the Boat. Yeah. There's actually two gadgets in one. Uh, it's a wooden puzzle block inside of a wooden puzzle box. Okay. And... People love it because they can go order a beer and sit down and spend 20, 30 minutes breaking into it. And then when you get the code, since there's, you can take it to your table, it's not chained down. And then after you get into the code, there's a wooden keg that we have decorated to match the decor on the other side of the pub that holds the swag. I found that. I'm, I, and one of the things I enjoyed, you know, the events in August, and it was hot last year. And so when we went to this place, even though I don't drink beer, my friends did, and we were able, I had a root beer, we were able to sit down, have a cold drink, bring the cash to our table, and really cool off and relax. It was awesome. The GC code on that puzzle cash you're talking about, it's called Don't Rock the Boat, but in parentheses, Evil Joe number three, pound three. The GC code on that is GC7N as in Nancy, H as in Harry, Three five. It's a blast. If you're listening from outside the area, uh, it's well worth a drive to Neosho, Missouri, and just search Brandy Jack caches. That he's filled the town with so many awesome ideas. That particular cache we just talked about is a four difficulty and a one terrain. Uh, if you can count sitting on a bar stool as a one. One of the great things about the Neosho area, besides that we have Spring Park, Morris Park, and, and all these cool places to hide, is there is the Fort Crowder Conservation Area. So you've hidden a lot out of there, and I think you said your very first cache was hidden out there. Talk about it a little bit. Well, it was called Heather Proof. Heather is the name of our daughter. She didn't make the uh, geocaching name because she was in high school and had boys and stuff on her mind, so she didn't tag along. But when she did, she was always getting hurt. She would climb up a slippery rock face and slide down on her stomach and or twist her ankle and was always being hurt. So when we decided to hide our first caches, we went out to this conservation land that seemed abandoned. There were no caches hidden out there. We went and got permission from the local conservation agent. And the first one we hid was called Heatherproof. 
it was a five gallon bucket filled with first aid supplies and mosquito repellent and general things to help you for if you got hurt while geocaching inspired by her that's awesome and is it still active no it is not active it's one of the first caches we had and there's a lot of hunting that goes on out there and it has been muggled every year and i got tired of making a trip every weekend out there to repair to repair it mm-hmm. and your oldest cache uh still surviving is not fancy like that what's it what type of cache is it um, basically it's a pill bottle called Don't Be Koi. It was bringing everybody to a little lesser known koi pond that's hiding in town. And it is since they've cut the bushes and the plaques and moved it around. So I had to move the cash a little ways off to the tree line, but it's still there. You know, Joe, I've got an idea. What's that, Mike? I think we should go geocaching. The day is young. All right, guys. Don't leave. We will be right back. I mean, it's not going to be like last episode where we were gone for four and a half hours. We will be right back. So just hang on and then we'll finish the interview then. Let's go geocaching. Yeah, that was fast enough. We were only gone about 30 minutes. We found one geocache, a new one by Wooden Block on the Ruby Jack Trail. Let's get right back into the interview. What's your favorite cache you've ever found? Well, it would have to be one located in Oklahoma City, or just south of Oklahoma City, called the Infernal Device. Um, It was built by a friend of mine named KBK Wick, is his geocaching name. Uh We'd seen a preview video that some church channel had put on, I think. And we saw this, and so we road tripped down to Oklahoma City on, it was going to be Halloween night, but it ended up being the night before Halloween. Okay, hang on a second. I just Googled, well, I Googled it on geocaching.com, and I'm looking at a picture that's really scary. You don't have to tell me about it, but I was not expecting this to be the infernal device. But go on. Yes, he is a craftsman. This cache took me, I think, two hours to get into because he has it set up as you break into one location of it and you get the find. But then he also, for the people that are really interested, has the ultimate find hidden somewhere else inside of, we'll say, the room. This is set up kind of like an escape room, except instead of breaking out, you're breaking in. And it's themed, in my opinion, after the Saw movie trilogy. Okay. It's all very scary. We did it late at night, in the dark. He said, whatever time we got there, we were welcome to do it. And as soon as we found it, my wife was worried that we were, I was making too much noise because I was excited. And then as soon as we found it, we heard this pounding on the door. And she thought it was the cops, but it was the owner. He'd been watching us through video, and he just tried to scare us to death as soon as we found it. And it worked. I... I... I've never been there. I haven't done this cache. I've heard you talk about it. I've heard a lot of other people talk about it. Here's the question. If you were going to go do this cache and it's that cool, how far should someone consider driving to get it? I think for you and I right now, it's at four hours. Yeah. And I say, let's load up and go. Okay. So what about somebody that's on the East or West Coast? Is it worth the drive? Yes. Amazing. So a geocache that's so cool that it's worth a 
10, 12, 14 hour drive. I love that. Well, I have to go. That's the thing. I have to go and get this cash. Here, people, go ahead. People have seen pictures of the Doctor Who phone box on the first find magazine and everywhere. Personally, I haven't found that, but I've talked to the creator of it. I think Brent's Infernal Device is probably a step up. It's not as digital. There's no batteries. His is all mechanical. But in my opinion, it is way better. Okay, so the the cash we're talking about is called Infernal Device. It is a five difficulty and a two and a half terrain. And the GC number is GC6XJQA is an alpha. Cool. Now I have something else to live for, right? Yes. Joe, I enjoyed having you today. Thanks for coming. It's been an experience. It's been fun. I had such an amazing time today. I enjoyed speaking with our guest. I want to thank everybody again for joining us for episode two of the Where Is It Now Geocaching podcast. Invite all your friends, subscribe, follow, do all that cool stuff. Thanks. We'll see you again soon.